you're listening to the Down East Mike Podcast, the quirky little podcast from Maine. And now, your host, Down East Mike. Hi, good morning, everybody. This is Down East Mike, and you are, you have found the Down East Mike Podcast, or it, it has found you. It has ventured out over the magical internet airwaves and is now percolating just like the Maxwell House coffee uh, in your coffee pot. And the voice of Downey's mic will be reverberating throughout your head all day long. Poor you, poor me. We're all suffering from the same thing. But you know what? It's pretty entertaining. It's a good way to start your day. The Downey's Mike podcast keeping you informed on all the modern goings-ons and all the things that happened long ago that are just exactly like they are today. Well, I hope you're off to a good start. Today is Saturday, May 7th, 2022. We never thought we'd see this year, but it happened, didn't it? We made it through the year 2000, the whole Y2K business. Everybody was all lathered up about that. Oh, it's going to be the end of the world. Our computers are going to reset. The cars will stop. Radios won't work. The lights will go out. We won't be able to use our blender. The year 2000. Oh, it's terrible. That came and went. I remember working like late at night, all frantic. We were trying to get our code up to speed. Oh, we've got to get this done. These computers are going to reset. Nothing happened. Nothing changed. It was all old old computer code and even the modern computer code. It doesn't care about Y2K. There's no bug in it. Well, at least I think. Anyway, here's our motto. Here's for your first time listener. Some of this is whimsy. Some of this is true. And the interpretation of it all is entirely up to you. We want you to have a good time. We focus on the light and the happy. This is all uh, rainbows and unicorns here. Well, for the most part. In today's episode, Bangor, Maine is struggling to spend $20 million. We all do that, don't we? Maine goes uh, to the Statue of Liberty Restoration Project with some granite. Uh, We have recipes for Brunswick stew, pecan sandwiches, oyster toast, and those are recipes from 1898. We have the Maine mammal of the moment found only here on the Down East Mike podcast. Let's get to our word of the day, iconic, used as an adjective. The definition of iconic is of relating to or having the characteristics of an icon. Widely recognized and well-established an iconic brand name. What do we think of like Lacoste, the little alligator, or Nike, or Reebok, or, or tissue, or like a Kleenex is a tissue, an iconic brand name. Widely known and acknowledged, especially for distinctive excellence, an iconic writer. A region's iconic wines. Other words from iconic, iconically. I don't think I've used that as an adverb, iconically. Iconically speaking, no. The original meaning of iconic was essentially resembling an icon, but today it often describes what is so admired that it could be the subject of an icon. And with that use, iconic has become part of the language of advertising and publicity. And companies, magazines, and TV hosts 
encourage us to think of some consumer item or pop star or show as first-rate or immortal or flawless, absolutely iconic, when that person or thing is simply actually widely known and they assert distinctively excellent, distinctive excellence. Iconic first came into use in literature in 1656. At the same time, other words that were popular were abysmal, accrued after effect, bullion, burweed, complicated depository emu gaff, iconic itself, uh, inapplicable, incandescent. All those words were popular in 1656 in literature. Our birthdays today, happy birthday today to Lisa in Kittery, Maine. Lisa works at the Outlet Mall. She likes to spend her lunch breaks, people watching. Happy birthday, Lisa. She didn't say how old she was going to be. Let's give her an age of between 35 and 54. And that way she can kind of match up with the Downey's Mike podcast demographic and there'll be a comfort level there. Uh, birthdays, Mike D of Portland, Maine, celebrating his 59th birthday today. He's a pilot for a regional airline and coaches soccer on the weekend. I think he's a father of two or three kids that he knows of. Mike D, happy 59th birthday. Getting right to our lead so important story. Bangor, Maine is struggling to spend $20 million. They've yet to say what they'll do with any of the $20 million that they've received from the federal government through the American Rescue Plan Act passed last year. Its county counterpart has acted much faster to announce plans for its $29 million award. It actually is $29.5 million, but when we're talking numbers like this, do we need to even throw in the half a million? It, it, it doesn't really matter. A spokesperson said that Bangor has not yet determined a formula for how it would allocate the money, and city manager Debbie Laurie, she has two first names, probably waiting on a last name, she would discuss potential uses for American Rescue Plan funding with the city council later this month. Here's what I think we should do. The City Council will hold meetings starting later this month to solicit public feedback on how the city should spend its American Rescue Plan funding. Auburn, Biddeford, Lewiston, Portland, and South Portland, in addition to Bangor, received federal funding ranging from $9 million to $46 million. And I just imagine them like printing out sheets of, of money and they're doing they're printing it so fast that they just send it out in sheet form to these places and say you can cut it up yourself because we're printing so fast we can't keep up with it. Bangor's lack of action stands out as main cities were generally moving more quickly than counties earlier this year to spend their American Rescue Plan money. It's just got such a great ring to it, the Rescue Plan. It's like we're underwater and they're sending us a lifeline. The cities have until December 31st, 2024 to earmark the money and must spend all of their funds by December 31st, 2026. So I would imagine December 30th, uh, 2026, that night will be the biggest patty you have ever seen to spend the rest of that money. So Bangor's received about $10 million so far and will receive the other half this month under Treasury rules. You, when you read this, you're, you're kind of shaking your head. It's like, 
Wow, what are they? Anyway, uh, the, our other story, Maine goes to the statue of the Maine Granite. It's going to go to the Statue of Liberty Restoration Project. It's a stone company from uh, uh, Orland, Maine. It's taken a big role to help restore one of the nation's most iconic landmarks. Uh, later this month, Freshwater Stone in Orland will haul the first of about seven tractor trailers worth of granite from its Frankfurt quarry to New York after being hired to replace 23 stone walls that run around the Statue of Liberty. And I think about six of those trailers have probably already gone by me on 295 headed to Portland because I, you know, a few inches away from the <clears throat> from the car, excuse me. Uh, company officials estimate they'll spend thousands of hours working on more than 1,000 pieces of stone for the walls at Fort Wood, the 11-pointed, star-shaped historic military installation that Lady Liberty stands upon. Later in the podcast, Frank Norwood has a song about the Statue of Liberty, and you may suffer through that, you may not, you may skip ahead, that's okay. About a quarter million pounds of cut stone from Freshwater's Quarry at Mosquito Mountain will be used on the project and be installed throughout the year. Now, can you imagine being out there in Mosquito Mountain and how long would you have to be there in late spring on a humid day? How long would you have to be there to understand why they called it Mosquito Island, uh, Mosquito Mountain? I remember uh, growing up at, as a child, I remember in St. George at the quarry there, it was a great place to swim in the summer. It was all hot and and you go cool off in, in the quarry, but you didn't have to cool off too much. And the local ruffians, they used to take dogfish and let them loose in the quarry because they thought that was fun to have those poor little sand sharks tormenting the swimmers. And of course, this is back in the 70s, and there were hippies around, and they had beards and everything, and they were naked jumping off the side of the cliff. I mean, you, you try to forget this stuff, but you can't. That's why, you, you know, things like Mosquito Mountain, they, okay, we'll, we'll get back to the story. Uh, so they're bringing the quarry, cut stone from Mosquito Mountain, they're taking to the Statue of Liberty. Uh, the fort was used as part of the New York defense system in the War of 1812. It was built between 1808 and 1811. And while much of the structure is granite, some lower quality stone that was used underneath the stone veneers has been deteriorating prompting the need for repairs, much like our teeth as we get older. To match the rest of the sturdier granite, the National Park Service, which owns the fort, has been working with uh, engineers and architects to find companies that can do repairs that keep the fort's historic character. And the stone walls may seem simple, but these can get pretty complicated according to the uh, architectural stone manager from the Orland Company. The star shape requires a lot more angle, angular cuts, as do the slanted holes built into the walls that are designed to let water run off the base. Now, see, I learned something there, because I thought those slanted holes was where the uh, revolutionaries there stuck their, their muskets, but I guess not. That's to let the water run off. You learn something every day, huh? Um, so they also want to distress the stone because uh, it's got to look like it, it, it's been there for a long time. You don't want that new-looking stone. Uh, that's a nice, wonderful story. The Statue of Liberty is a landmark that every American knows. 
and they are very honored and happy to be working on such an iconic landmark. Well, on this day, May 7th in 1898, from the Lewiston Evening Journal, let's read some of our, our more enlightening stories from that period. Two cases of scarlet fever in Newcastle, Maine, one of chickenpox, and one of whooping cough, says in exchange, poor Newcastle. The policemen have hunted high and low, but those Portland masked robbers are still at large. They had a, a robbery, uh, kind of a binge in Portland on, on this day and or around this time in 1898. Uh, everyone within hearing distance of the West End Hotel sleeps with his eyes open now. What a creepy thing, huh? The botany classes already have made considerable progress on their spring campaign, and the most diligent students are beginning to be surprised at Maine's floral wealth. A young woman in Lewiston who began a collection of wildflowers last summer had secured 359 different kinds, all gathered in this immediate vicinity before the season had closed, and she might have had more had she begun earlier in the spring. I'm wondering if you went out now in that same area in Lewiston could you collect 359 different kinds of wildflowers? That would be a great experiment. Uh, it's a, understood that the Boston and Maine will run more trains between Saco and Biddeford, Old Orchard and Portland than last year. The line of steamers that ply between Portland and Boston will probably touch at the new pier, this is in Old Orchard Beach, and the steamer that runs between Biddeford and the pool will make trips to the pier this year. A line of steamers will probably run from Portland to this place. I think it would be a wonderful thing to see. A prominent landlord who was asked how the war, this is the Spanish-American War, would affect the summer business, said that he was of the opinion that there would be fully as many people at the beach this year as last. He argued that many of these who had in years past gone across the water on a European trip would stay at home this season and would visit the seashore instead. He said that none of his guests had informed him that they would not want their rooms this year. When the war broke out, he admitted that he was fearful that many of the people who had visited the beach during the heated term would stay away this year, and he was happily disappointed. He laughed at the idea of the Dons shelling Old Orchard Beach and stated that he would like to ensure all that came here from any danger from that source. He expects fully as many Montreal visitors this year as in years past, despite all stories to the contrary. So in 1898, uh, the Quebecers were flocking then to uh, Old Orchard Beach. Still, uh, was, even at that time, it was a popular destination. You mark my words, said the hotel man in conclusion. We shall all have one of the best seasons for several years. Other landlords who were seen said that they were not losing any sleep over a dull season and expected to have enough business to keep them busy for a couple months uh, this summer. Uh, we wanted to read uh, from Brunswick. The five-year-old son of Mr. A.G. Prince of South Brunswick accidentally swallowed a kernel of corn Friday night, and it lodged in his windpipe. 
He suffered severely until taken to the Portland Hospital where an operation was performed and the corn removed. And adjacent to that story, there's a little ad. Practice economy. There is more food in one cupful of wheat germ than in two cupfuls of most other cereals. Here's a wanted ad from 1898. Drop a postal to us to call and buy house grease and boiled bones. Lewiston Tallow Company, number 77 Middle Street in Lewiston. What do you think it smelled like being a neighbor of that place? Uh, for sale in Auburn is a cottage house of nine rooms. It's, it has an adjacent stable of 25 by 30 feet and about two and a half acres of land. Fruit sufficient for a large family. City water, everything in good order. 20 minutes walk from the post office and finally located. For anyone looking for a home place, this is by far the best bargain to be had in this section. This is Auburn. $600 cash and the mortgage for balance will buy it. Apply on the premises and that's 145 Lake Street. We need to look that up, see what it's going for today. And again, that wheat germ ad and had another little ad here. 15 cents, you can buy a package of wheat germ, which will make a breakfast for 40 people. That doesn't mean they'll eat it. It, it will make a breakfast for 40 people. But I uh, wanted a small, solid, black cocker spaniel, male, from 18 months to 2 years old, about 12 inches at the shoulder, ears from 22 to 24 inches from tip to tip, well feathered, Good head, dark eyes, short body, good leg, flat coat, price must be low. Address Mrs. Mary H. Ranlett, Rockland, Maine. She was not specific enough for me. That I wouldn't be able to provide a black cocker spaniel, 18 months to 2 years old, 12 inches at the shoulder, ears 22 to 20. My goodness. All right, let's get to our recipes here. For Brunswick stew, in separate vessels of cold water, it's off to a good start, isn't it? Separate vessels of cold water put four pounds of lean beef and two large hens let simmer all day. I hope you're not eating breakfast. The next morning, skim off cake of grease and mix stock. I'm stirring it, virtually stirring it right now as we talk. Chickens will be cooked to pieces. Add a small quantity of the beef cut fine, leaving out the remainder. Oh my God. To the stock thus formed, add two large cans of corn, two of okra, three of tomatoes, one pod of red pepper, and boil gently four hours stirring constantly. When done, add a half cup tomato ketchup and a half cup of Worcester sauce. Oh my goodness, can you imagine the hat band? That came from Mrs. B.T. Haynes. Whoa. Okay, let's finish off our Brunswick stew with a pecan sandwich. Cut one round loaf of cream light bread into thin slices. Spread lightly with mayonnaise dressing. Hull one pound of pecans and chop the kernels until quite fine. Chop, 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 chop. 
Cut each slice of bread in half and sprinkle one liberally with the pecans and cover with the other half, thus forming a half-moon sandwich. One roll of bread will make about 30 sandwiches. That's from Mrs. A.W. Patton. All right, if you're not full of your Brunswick stew and your pecan sandwich, you need some oyster toast. Boil one cup of oyster liqueur with half a cup of cream, a tablespoon of butter, season with pepper and salt. Pour this over some nicely toasted bread and set in the oven five minutes. Then lay broiled oysters on the toast and serve hot. Wow, that's from Mrs. Florence Eastman. Remind me to avoid these houses in that uh, tallow house. Oh, they ate poorly back then. Uh, scary. Um, a young lady well-known in Eastport, she lost a valuable set of her store teeth recently. And while the thief was secured quickly, she, at last accounts, had been unable to find him missing property, though a thorough search was made at once. While cleaning the teeth, her pet dog saw the pretty set, and thinking it was a dainty morsel or a toothsome bone, soon had them in his mouth, and before the owner could get near, disappeared into the backyard. The lady followed, quickly found her dog, but the new teeth had vanished from view. No amount of coaxing would make the dog thief disclose the hiding place of his expensive bone, and a new set was ordered from the dentist later. Uh, another story, this story which smacks of wickedness, comes from the town of Prospect. At a recent seance, among those present was a lady who mourned the loss of her consort, and as the manifestation began to appear, the spirit of the departed Benedict was announced as having appeared uh, on the scene. Benedict's here now. Of course, the widow was anxious to engage in conversation with the absent one, and the following dialogue ensued. Widow, are you in the spirit world? The lamented, I am. Widow, how long have you been there? The lamented, oh, some time. Widow, don't you want to come back and be with your lonely wife? The lamented, not if I know myself. It's hard enough here. I get it. It's a good joke. Our prospect correspondent contributed this account of the discomfiture of a would-be smart young lawyer who had been browbeating witnesses and who finally, in a case of assault and battery, asked an old man of the vicinity at what distance he was from the parties when the assault happened. Just four feet, five inches and a half, answered the witness. How come you be so exact, asked the counsel because I expected some fool or other to ask me, and so I measured it. Well, good witness here. Ah, uh, with this ad, when you're in Boston, stop at the American House on Hanover Street near Scully Square, nearest of the large hotels to the Union Station, steamers, business, and amusement centers. The largest rooms in the city for the price, $1 per day and upward, steam heat, one electric light in every room in the house. $50,000 has just been spent on the house, giving patrons every modern improvement and convenience at moderate prices. The European plan includes a special breakfast at 40 cents and table d'hote 
dinner at 50 cents, and they're famous for that. Great stories there. Now it's time for our main mammal of the moment, the woodchuck, Marmota monax, a.k.a. the woodchuck. These cute large rodents, thus a mammal, are entertaining to look at, but potentially dangerous and disruptive. They're a member of the squirrel family, also known as the groundhog or whistle pig, according to the Scientific American. I hadn't heard whistle pig before. Groundhogs are also variously referred to as land beavers. That's kind of cute, too. The name whistle pig comes from the fact that when alarmed, a groundhog will admit a high-pitched whistle as a warning to the rest of his or her colony. The name woodchuck has nothing to do with wood or chucking. It is derived from the Algonquin name for the critters, woodchuck. We, uh, we had a woodchuck in the yard all last summer, and he appeared somewhat uh, coincidentally with there was a truck stopped out front early in the morning and here you have like the driver door open and closed and the passenger door open and closed and shortly after that the woodchuck moved in he stayed with us all summer we fed him quite well from the garden he evaded the security cam just got little images of him and he eventually disappeared there was a vulture in the tree i don't know the, all the the, the uh, sequence of events there but uh, so anyway, they're herbivores. They, they feed primarily on vegetables, trees, grasses. And a single woodchuck, as Downey's Mike found out, a single woodchuck can quickly destroy an entire garden. They also gnaw the bark of fruit trees and shrubs, sometimes killing them. The mounds of dirt from excavated burrows and holes at the entr entrance of bureaus are unsightly and can be hazardous to humans. Woodchucks are also hosts for the woodchuck tick, Ioxys kuki, which can carry the Powassan virus, and that's a, certainly a potentially dead, deadly virus. All right, let, that's our podcast for today. Let's take a quick look at the weather forecast from the National Weather Service for today, Saturday, May 7th, 2022. Uh, mostly sunny with a high near 56. That's cooled off a little bit. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then uh, for Sunday tomorrow, uh, high near 60, sunny. Northwest wind around 5 miles per hour. And then we look out down the road, uh, sunny, sunny, sunny. And working towards high 70s to near 80 uh, through next uh, Thursday. Some wonderful uh, stretch of spring weather ahead. And... Uh, just a lot to look look forward to there weather-wise. Well, until next time, this is Downey's Mike wishing you and your loved ones a day full of grace, love, and kindness. We'll see you. Winthrop was a freedom man Looking for the promised land He envisioned the shining city on the hill He found it here and he made it so Like so many who followed The eyes of all people are still upon us 
Welcome out to the land. 